Well, friends, good morning. Good morning morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. My name is Matthew, senior pastor here on behalf of all of us. So glad you could be with us today. Uh, As we're getting started for church this morning, that smell of breakfast is wafting up from beneath you, and it's a reminder of some of the events going on in the life of our church. It's good to have things back. It's good to see your faces, some of you. Uh, Remember what you look like, right? Um, And as we're getting started this morning, there is one new event that we are planning to restart that I want to highlight for you at the start of our service today. We've been talking about it for a few weeks, but we have some deadlines coming up, so we're going to feature it. So I want to invite my friend and colleague, Kate Martinka, to join us because, yeah, we're, we're going to talk for a second about Vacation Bible School. So it's been a couple of years since we've had a chance to do this for obvious reasons, right? And we would really like to bring Vacation Bible School back this summer. But in order to do that, we need a whole lot of volunteers. And, well, we just don't have them yet. And so we're here talking about it one more time to highlight this because we'd like to be able to do this for our community, but we need your help. So, Kate, can you tell us a bit more about it? Good morning. So we need about... 60 volunteers to run the Northbridge Association of Churches Vacation Bible School. Um, We have about 15 right now, and the deadline is tomorrow. So I know you're all going to sign up now, right? (laughs) Um, So let me tell you a little bit about it, because maybe you want to volunteer, or you're interested, but you just don't have any idea what volunteering means. Um, There's so many different levels of volunteering. You could be the person who is checking the kids in when they arrive. You could be the person that makes all the sets for the story times. You could run a group of um, games. You could be a person who is bringing kids around to different stations. The different stations we have are music, craft, uh, snack, science, uh, Bible story. Let's see what else. (laughs) I'm off script here. I don't have a script this morning. But there's so many different things that we offer that you'll probably find something that you like that you can be involved in. Um, And like I said, it could be all different levels. You could be in charge of that station, or you could be there helping the kids at that station. So, I mean, there's so many different levels. We need all of you. Uh, Last year and the year before, I gave stations to teens. Um, Some of you were here... And um, the teens are so good at running the stations. We need you. It's so much fun. So, um, for example, at the science station, we had, I think, four or five teens who were just solely in charge um, with one supervising adult. Maybe Tanya was there. And um, they ran it, and they did everything. And the kids are so excited, and they love the big kids being there. So it's one week long. Um, Hopefully we can do it July 18th if we can have more people help us. And usually what it looks like is the kids arrive around 8.30. It goes until 12. And then there's an optional part that we've done in the past that I haven't um, made sure we could do this yet because I didn't even know. I don't know if it's happening, I hope. Um, But the optional part would be kids can sign up to walk over to the community center and go swimming at the pool. And that's for another hour after lunch. So there's so much going on, so many different ways you could help. Um, If you have new ideas, that is welcome as well. It doesn't have to be the same way we've been doing it. And um, yeah, we need you. You can ask me any questions you want. I mean, deadline is tomorrow, but maybe I'll give it the week so that I can um, answer your questions and tell you more. And hopefully you got to see all the pictures from the last three years we were able to do it. And Kate, thank you. Just, one, just to clarify, yeah. this isn't just for uh, kids of Pleasant Street, right? Right. So this, is, um, this goes back, I mean, since, I don't know, 1980, I think. It's been going through the Northbridge Association of Churches. So there's 11 churches involved. Um, And so volunteers and kids are from all these different churches, and we have many, many unchurched kids in the community that attend this uh, Vacation Bible School as well. And is there an age limit on who can be uh, involved as a volunteer? As a volunteer, um, so the kids that come are age four through 
going into sixth grade. So if you're older than going into sixth grade, then you can be a volunteer. We'll take everybody. Is there an age maximum for a volunteer? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you, Kate. Uh, like everything else, some of these things happen when you get in the rhythm of them, and then you just know that it's coming and what to do. It's been a couple of years, and so like everything else, when we try to restart something, there's a big push involved to, to get it off the ground again. And so thank you, Kate, for being willing to get out in front of this and, and help us bless our community in this way. Uh, as we are getting started, you'll notice we changed some of the decorations here, and there's a shift happening in the life of our church. We've moved from the season after Christmas to the season of Lent. Right? And Lent is our six-week journey toward the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is a time of discipline and a time of uh, focus and a time of intentionality in which we are, well, to put it on, on the front of your bulletin, we are asking God to do some of what's happening in this picture, to ask God to be shaping and reforming us to make us to look more like Jesus so that we could go out into our community looking, sounding like, smelling like, speaking like Jesus to each other and to the world around us. And so when we do this together, uh, we celebrate, we're going to celebrate Lent this year in a couple of different ways. One is through our worship on Sundays, but another is through another event with the NAC, Northbridge Association of Churches, on Wednesdays there's going to be a noon prayer service. Many of those, I think, will be live-streamed. We sent you an announcement about that last week. Uh, we'll get that information to you digitally as well so that you can find those links. But uh, during the, the six Sundays in Lent, we will be taking turns rotating with the different churches in, uh, in the NAC to host a, uh, a 12 o'clock noon prayer service. It's time for some prayers, uh, some songs, and a simple meditation on Scripture. So we hope you can join us for that. Um, but that brings us right up until this moment where we get started with our worship together today. So friends, I would invite you uh, to rise in body or in spirit. Uh, join us as we begin our Lent journey together. Lord Jesus, we walk with you through the shadow of death. Banished from the Garden of Eden for our rebellion. We long for the garden of paradise. O Lord, you are the Christ. Remember us in your kingdom. We come to hear you speak of your love for us. You have the words of eternal life. Amen. I see the Lord. Seated on the throne, exalted, the train of his robe fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole with his glory I see the Lord sitting on the throne exalted and the train of his robe fills the temple with
we stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength we bow down and worship him now how great how awesome is he If you look at the beginning of the story of the world in the Bible, you will see that in the beginning, God creates all things. He, he, he forms the world and then he fills it out until it is super abundant with life and, and with glory, uh, the glory of, of him, himself, right? Uh, and then what happens is God creates people. Right And a uh, little ancient Near Eastern history for you. In the way that the story is told, people are created uh, as the crowning achievement of all that God has made, but people have a specific job, and that is also to reflect the glory of the God who made them into the world around them. We are meant to be mirrors, reflecting something of God's glory into the world around us. Well, you don't have to go very far in the story before you realize that rather than choosing to reflect the glory of the one who made us, um, we smash that image by choosing to do what we want instead, right? We become broken pottery, right? Which is an image we looked at on Wednesday. We become smashed mirrors. We become people who, who can't really reveal anything uh, good about God on our own. And so uh, one of the ways that we need rescue is this restoration of our ability to reveal something of God's glory and goodness to the world around us and to reveal it to each other. And so in Lent, one of the things that we are going to do is we are asking God to reform, to reshape us, to restore us to what he made us to always be all along. And one of the ways that God does that is through a mirror. 
which we call the Ten Commandments, right? And so during Lent, there's six Sundays. For five of them, we're going to take one of the commandments, and we're going to be setting that before us as a mirror to, to show us what we're supposed to look like and the ways that we fail to do so, right? And then, if you know the Ten Commandments, what we will also do is we'll lift up these commandments, not just to reveal to us how we are broken, but also that through the restoring grace of God, these commandments become guides for how we can reflect God's glory again in the world around us, right? And so we're going to do that together during the next five Sundays by, by using some words about the commandments to shape our confession, and then we're going to take a few moments to reflect together on what that commandment might look like for us in the coming week in the season of Lent. And so let's, let's do that together now. Friends, would you pray with me? What is God's first commandment for us? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Obeying this commandment means committing mind and heart to God and God alone. It means trusting the one God alone, patiently looking to him every good thing and giving him love, fear, and honor with all my heart. Friends, God speaks. He reveals himself as I am. We confess that we are eager to fill in the rest of the sentence. Forgive us for trying to make you in our image. Take away our sins and make us instead in your image that we might live and be fulfilled. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Friends, isn't the presence of this God who reveals to us our brokenness and our failings, we are also in the presence of the God who has done something about it. Hear these assuring words of the gospel. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with the full assurance that faith brings. Lord God, Teach us how to rest in you and praise you in everything that we do and say. Jesus, door to God, gate of heaven, you provide the open way for us to enter the green pasture together. You promise us a more abundant life. You are the way. You assure us of your presence in every place to walk beside us even to a world unknown. Jesus, we take comfort knowing that you are the door our friend, and our strength. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are forgiven. And now we walk with God in lives of gratitude. Lord, send your spirit that we might see you as the only true God. Teach us to trust in you alone. Lord, help us to conform ourselves to the person of Jesus. I'd like you to take a few moments in the presence of God and his spirit to reflect on this commandment.
of Christ be with you. Please rise and greet those around you. Can I have all the Kid Street kids come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Emily Fortna. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, thankful for the ability to be here this morning. We are thankful that you are our God, and we are your people. We thank you for worship and praise songs, for encouragement and guidance that we receive through your word, for fellowship and coffee after the service. We are also thankful for all of the volunteers in this church. Just this morning, we have musicians, sound and projection techs, nursery and kid street volunteers, greeters, coffee makers, people on security detail. We thank you for each of these people who are willing to give up of their time to be here this morning to our enhance our worship experience. We are thankful for successful surgeries for Brian T. and Donna W. and Leanne L. Continue to heal each of them and restore them to full health. In the midst of all of the things that we have to be thankful for, help us to be mindful of those who don't have as much, for those who are out in the cold this morning without a warm place to go, for those who can't seem to find joy in the midst of anxiety or depression, for those who feel left out. Dear God, bring healing and comfort and love we especially lift up the Banning and Bajima families as they continue to mourn the loss of Helen. Be near to them. Give them a special measure of comfort and peace. 
And as we navigate the challenges and struggles in our own lives and community, help us to be mindful of conflicts abroad. Be with the soldiers and civilians, refugees and leaders in Ukraine. We ask that you bring an end to the destruction and peace to the region. Help us as a congregation to reach out and show your love to those who are struggling. May we be a church family that supports each other and our community. And now, dear God, we ask that you speak through Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us. Open our hearts so that we can hear you speak through him. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our scripture reading from today is from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. So it's a little bit lengthy. Please bear with me. I'm reading from NIV. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Jesus, uh, excuse me, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and said to him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus 
once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that if you, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, get up, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. It's a big passage. It's a long story, Scott, thank you. As we start our journey of Lent together, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in, in the story that we have of your life on earth from John, often we see you doing things for our benefit, demonstrating things in signs, praying out loud to your Father, not because you need to, but so that we could hear the kinds of things that you would say. And as your followers, as your people, as people who walk through long, sad stories much like this one, we've gathered here around this story, hoping that we would hear from you just as your first disciples did too. And so we ask that by your Spirit, you would come to us now and take these words and speak to us through them. In your name, amen. I was taught never to begin a sermon with death. Generally, I think that's a good practice to follow, except sometimes the story does begin that way. It does so today in the story of Lazarus. That's almost exactly where we begin, with a beloved friend who's taken seriously ill and with the plea of two dear sisters and with Jesus, the friend who comes too late. We have begun our journey in the season of Lent, and Lent is a strange time full of paradoxes. If you've ever been through Lent before, maybe you've noticed this. During Lent, we focus on penitence, but in Lent, we expect joy. In Lent, we follow Jesus who said, giving things up is the only way to find out what's truly worth having. Lent is full of contradictory things. It's a celebration that begins with death. And this Sunday, we begin Lent with the death of Lazarus. Today, on the first Sunday of Lent, with death at the door, the story in John 11 focuses us on exactly the right issues where we might be this morning. Death is never that far away, but especially lately, maybe its ticking reminders tick a little more loudly. It's the tallies of death tolls from famine and war. It's the lives lost to natural disasters. But it's also much closer to home. As a, a colleague of mine, Scott Jose, once put it in a sermon, quote, you never open the newspaper's obituary column only to see the word none. Death is the reality that we all must grapple with, and everyone in this story does. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus and they ask him to hurry because death is close to their brother. But Jesus doesn't hustle. He makes a strange comment and aside to himself about the glory of God and then Jesus waits two more days. Well, that's troubling enough, but the reason is even more perplexing, isn't it? Is it because Jesus is himself afraid of death? Is it because Jesus is afraid that the religious authorities are hunting for him? Well, that's what the disciples are worried about when Jesus says he's going back to Judea. They said, Jesus, 
Don't go back to that place. But that's not why Jesus delays. Did you catch it? Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then right next to it, the very next sentence, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. John tells us that it was because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus that Jesus stayed away. Well, that is a very strange thing to do. Normally, when someone is ill, whom you love, you rush. And then when Jesus says he is going to Bethany and the disciples don't understand, Jesus spells it out, Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. Well, that is a strange thing for Jesus to say. Martha is not glad that he wasn't there. She meets him on the road, the crowd of mourners near behind her. Where were you? She asks. Jesus, if you had been there, Lazarus would still be alive because she knows with stalwart faith that he would have healed Lazarus. But now it's too late. You're too late. And yet she says, I I know that God will still give you whatever you ask. Martha's faith astounds us. In another of the Gospels, it's Mary that's highlighted for us as the hero. In this story, in some ways, it's Martha. Martha's faith is astounding. She still knows that Jesus is the one whom God listens to specially. This hasn't changed her theology about who Jesus is. But it has changed something. We can hear it. You hear the disappointment? Martha sought his help. She prayed for his help. He didn't get there in time. I know God is with you in a mighty way, Jesus. But I sure wish you'd been here four days ago. And Mary, well, she doesn't even want to come outside. She's curled up on the floor in the house with the window blinds shut. Can you blame her? Jesus, the healer, the man of God, the friend, wasn't there. And now he is there, but he is the friend who's come too late. Something about this has crushed her. Friends, Lent is full of contradictory things, and on this first Sunday in Lent, the story of Lazarus lifts up Several for us. John tells us that Jesus really, really loves this family. And when he hears about the emergency, he stays put, not moving an inch. Nectarius was an important person in the Roman world in the fourth century. He was a community leader, he was a politician, he was much beloved. And Nectarius had a son who was known much the same as his dad, like father, like son. But as is sometimes the case, his son died. Nectarius had a dear friend who was a prominent leader in the church there, St. Basil of Caesarea, or as we know him, Basil the Great. He heard about his friend Nectarius and the loss of his son, and so Basil wrote him a letter. There exists, Basil wrote, some reason, incomprehensible to us, why some are sooner carried away from us and some are left a little while longer behind to bear the burdens of this painful life. Yeah, and Basil the Great put it pretty well. Death is all around us, and in the face of death, there is something almost incomprehensible about the way that God moves when we know that he loves us, and yet he isn't there to stop death. But the story continues, and it adds more layers of strangeness, because when Mary does come out, tears on her eyes, a fresh peal of mourners coming behind her, when Jesus sees Mary's heartbreak and he hears the wailing of the mourners, he weeps. And the crowd Even the crowd looks at this and they can see how much Jesus loves this family. And then then they ask the question that's just right there for all of us too. If Jesus loved this family that much 
And if he could open the eyes of the blind, couldn't, if he, couldn't he have prevented this? Friends, on this first Sunday of Lent, we start with a story of death, but that's not actually the hardest part of this story, is it? No, no, when you look at it in, in whole, what you realize is that the really hard part of this story is not the death, but that it looks so preventable. I mean, Jesus, above all people, has been revealed to us as the kind of person who should be able to do something to stop this. It's what Martha knows, Lord, if you had been here, she says. It's what Mary knows, Lord, if you had been here, she says the same thing. The crowd knows it too. Well, see how much he loved him? Well, if he could open the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have? Lord, if you'd been here, yeah, and so do we too. Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd come sooner, maybe we wouldn't be reading about war in the paper or about the loss of dear friends in our own headlines. We too would like to prevent death. We would like to stop its devastation because death hurts us. More specifically, it hurts our trust in God. It hurts Martha, who knows her theology, and that's not shaken at all by this passage. She knows her theology about Jesus, but in this moment, she's not sure if she can trust him. It hurts Mary, who can't get out of bed. It hurts the community, who knows Lazarus' reputation from even a couple of miles away, and they make the long walk all the way from Jerusalem. A whole crowd comes to, to mourn, to be there for this beloved person. They are disillusioned and disappointed because Jesus has come too late. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, writes about the unexpected gift of getting married. He wasn't planning on it. He didn't expect that he would. And then he was surprised by joy. But then after this unexpected gift comes into his life, suddenly, incomprehensibly, they find out that she does not have long to live. Lewis notes that after the receiving of this gift and the passing of his wife, he wasn't really worried about his theology, about giving up his faith in God. He worried instead about what he might come to think about God in his heart. He says, not that I think I'm in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not... So there's no God after all. But, so this is what God is really like. This story about Lazarus' death is not really about Lazarus at all. It's about us. It's about all of us who are left behind when someone beloved passes away. It's about us who have been wounded by death. Friends, death makes it hard to trust Jesus. And if you read John, you don't have to read very many verses at all to find out that trusting Jesus is what he seems to want above almost anything else in the entire story. To believe not only that Jesus can heal the blind or turn water into wine, but also to believe that he can give us the kind of life that outlasts death itself. You know, in that letter from St. Basil the Great to Nectarius, he goes on to say something else. He says that God's ways are mysterious and incomprehensible. And then he says this, We have not lost the boy. We've restored him to the lender. His life is not destroyed. It has been changed for the better. Right? And today... We might not lead with theology in the face of deep suffering, but no matter how we phrase it, we carry with us this same astounding conviction that Basil had six, 1,630 years ago. The conviction that with God, suffering and death don't destroy us. They transform us. 
That is the astounding, unbelievable thing that we learn when Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And that is the astounding thing that happens to both Mary and Martha in the strange way that this story is delayed, in this strange not coming of their friend who seems to come too late, and yet somehow as the story continues, we find he has been right on time. Your brother will rise again, Martha, Jesus says. She's remembering Hebrew Saturday school catechism class, and she replies with this robust confession of faith. Yeah, I I know, she says. I know that on the last day the dead will be raised again in the resurrection before the face of God. I know that one day Lazarus, my brother, will be raised from the dead. He will have a new body, right? Jesus looks at her with an intensity in his eyes, and he makes a claim that is so absurd that it's either true or it's criminal. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe me, you will live even though you die, and after you die, you will live. Do you believe this? And Martha does something bolder still. She says, yes. Fresh tear streaks on her face, she says, I don't believe what you said. I believe you. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. My friends, this story is full of strange contradictions, like the fact that Martha has her faith in Jesus deepened because of death. Writer named Rebecca McLaughlin, who is meditating on this story in one of her books, she says this. She says, in the strange stretching of the story of Lazarus, we get a glimpse of the whole biblical framework for suffering. The space between Lazarus' death And Jesus' calling of him out of the tomb is the space in which Martha sees Jesus for who he really and fully is, her very life. She discovers that Jesus is not a means to an end, a a mechanism through which Martha can change her circumstances or prevent the worst from happening. He is the end of her life. Like Martha, we would have Jesus come before it's too late. You see, we we would have him always get here before it's too late because death seems like it's even beyond Jesus. But Jesus waits until after Lazarus dies so that we might see something that we did not, that we could not expect. Jesus does not postpone death. He raises the dead. Jesus waits until there is no more hope. And then he goes to Bethany, full of compassion and determination, to what? To to wake Lazarus up. And to wake up Mary and Martha too. Why? Because he loves them. And so he reveals his power to them in the greatest of all the signs that John gives us that Jesus does. The sign is that we can trust him even in the face of death. And the greatest sign of our trust in him is, I don't think actually the fact that he has the power to call Lazarus forth, although that is true. I think the greatest sign of our ability to trust Jesus is the fact that when he gets to the tomb, he weeps. Because Jesus understands that death hurts us. He weeps because he sees what death has done to this town in Bethany. He weeps because he sees what it's done to Mary and Martha and to his beloved Lazarus. He weeps because he loves this world that has been so diminished long in the valley of shadow of death. He weeps because the world that he made has been taken hostage by an enemy so powerful and so ubiquitous that we even forgot it was there. That is why when Jesus faces the tomb, after he weeps, 
he gets angry. He becomes indignant. Actually, in Greek, what he literally does is he snorts. Like a war horse poised for an assault, Jesus turns toward the tomb and he snorts. So he weeps, standing around the casualties of Satan's rule in the world, and then he is angry and indignant when he comes face to face with the great enemy of death itself. And Calvin here is perfect. He says, Jesus does not approach the tomb as an idle spectator, but as a champion who prepares for a contest. Therefore, we need not wonder that he weeps for the violent tyranny of death, which he had to conquer, is placed before his eyes. Demanding that the tomb be opened right now, Jesus bellows into it. He roars into it with the voice of creation itself, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus does. To the astonished crowd, Jesus tells them to do the simplest thing that you could imagine. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. Jesus goes to Bethany not to prevent death, but poised for battle against the forces of death. He goes to fight a battle everyone assumed was already four days over. That is, until Lazarus walks out of the tomb. But this is just a battle, a skirmish in Jesus' war against death. Mary and Martha, they will have another funeral. And yet this is at the same time the clearest glimpse, the greatest sign, John tells us, of what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection. He literally means that in him we will be raised from the dead. When he says, I am the life, he means that in him we have a living spiritual life, a quality of life that is so bright and hopeful, it's like 12 hours of daylight, even in the dark. That is because Jesus, the life giver, is determined to die for us. Jesus, who says throughout the first half of John that his hour has not yet come, he now will begin to say, my hour has come, the hour when darkness reigns. And in a plot twist that is desperately ironic, the leaders of Israel will align themselves with death and decide to kill the life giver and Lazarus with him. And friends, this is the beginning of Lent and it's a time of contradictions. It's a time when Jesus the King will turn weeping toward the city that kills the prophets. He will come as a conquering king riding a donkey of peace. It's a time of contradictions when we begin to see Jesus go to confront the last enemy to be defeated by being defeated himself. So that we might have a resurrection life on this side of death now. Friends, it is the beginning of Lent, and Lent is a time for us to hear again Jesus telling us who he is in the most desperate circumstances we walk through so that we can begin to remember who we are. Lent is ultimately a time to remember the water of baptism that fell on our head and the light of the world that shines on us. Lent is a time to remember that Jesus did not come to prevent death, but to turn it into a door that leads to life. Baptized into Jesus' death, we weep over the casualties of sin's reign in the world. And rising even now into Jesus' life, we set our faces with resolve to work against the forces of death in this world. And we weep and we work in the light that shines from Jesus' tomb a light that shines on all those who dwell in darkness and who walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a light which cannot be put out but will in fact overcome the darkness, the light of a new dawn that will soon cover the whole earth. It's only a matter of time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we read this story, we see that we too are those who must grapple with the reality of death and your timing. 
Lord, in our tears over those whom we have loved and lost, we ask that you would comfort us in our sorrow. Show us your wounded hands. And our questions and our doubts and our wondering about how you're going to make everything come out all right in the end, show us the end of the story, which is an empty tomb and the light coming out from the inside. And as those people who want to go into this world unafraid of death, we ask that you would remind us that we have been marked by your spirit in the water of baptism that we have already died, and that we are even now being raised to do new life in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God speaks to us, and in our service, we take time to learn to respond as well. One of the ways that we do that is by inviting our third through fifth grade students to have a chance to reflect on what they're hearing, singing, seeing, experiencing in our service together. So I'd like to invite all of our Echo Age students to come forward because we have a blessing and a prayer for you. People of God, what is our prayer for these students? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. And as they go, uh, responding to God together, we also make our response, both in singing songs and offering prayers, but also by offering up some of what God has given to us for the work of his church. We do that through our offering. And some of the ways that we are able to give right now are by dropping off checks in the box in the front or during the week in the mailbox or by donating online. Having had a chance to do that, pray with me, friends. Lord God, you give to us an abundance of your good news and your own son. And we are learning to be like you, to respond in small ways um, so that uh, like our heavenly Father, so us as children. As we offer up some of the things that you have entrusted to us, our time, our energy, our resources, our money, we ask that you would take these gifts and that you would use them to build up your church and to deepen our trust in you until you come back in glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit and let's sing together. Oh, 
sisters gathered at the start of this Lent season, even as we walk toward the cross, as resolute as we might be, we turn to the one who did not flinch in the face of death and suffering. And however faithful our following is, we follow the one who is faithful in all things for us. We follow the one who promises to bless you this week wherever you might go. So that no power of hell, no scheme of man, uh, nothing can pluck us from his hand. And so friends, would you lift up your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's sing. sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in, when death was arrested my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains, my orphan heart was given My feet rose to dance When death was arrested And my life began Oh, your grace so free Washes over me You have made me new Now life begins with you It's your Cross. 
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus rose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now life begins with you. people said. Have a blessed week.